president of Belarus, Alexander Lukashenko, remains under intense pressure. Tens of thousands of protesters demonstrated against him in the capital, Minsk. What we have now is a fascinating thing that you have people gathering in front of their buildings. And every evening they're gathering in their yard, drinking tea and talking to one another with their flags, white, red, white flags. Now the protest is basically so diverse. People are gathering as profession groups, doctors or teachers, culture workers, actors. And in every single one of these groups, you have some form of old NGOs involved, supporting, not taking a leader role, because there is no leader in this protest in Belarus, but being in it. It has been an amazing year. And when I say amazing, I do not want to dismiss suffering and pain that many, 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 many Belarusians endured. But what they have created and what they have gave birth to is amazing. Slava Belarusiu! Viva Belarus! Viva! The Lukashenko era is over. Simply put. Hi, this is Forum for Change, a podcast about civil society around the world produced by Forum Civ. I am Carlos Cárdenas. Our sixth and final episode for this season of Forum for Change is about the historical turmoil that Belarus has experienced during 2020, and especially during the last couple of months, after the presidential elections where the current and only president that Belarus has ever had, Alexander Lukashenko, was re-elected with 80% of the votes, according to the official sources. For this episode, we wanted to talk directly with some of the civil society organizations that work in partnership with Forum Civ's regional office for Eastern Europe. My dear colleague, Yeva Miklasevskaya, from the regional office, was in the verge of delivering these interviews. But then I received her email. Dear Carlos, we have been planning to have an interview with one of our partners, but he was arrested again on Sunday during the protests in Belarus. And now it is unclear when he will be released and if he would be still willing to proceed with the interview. Is there a possibility to do a podcast without an interview from Belarus, only with Ognian? Because for now, some of our partners are arrested, others went underground and the third part doesn't speak English. Sorry for these bad news. Best regards, Yava. So, we had to decide on doing our episode mainly based on a talk with Ognian, who is mentioned by Yeva on her email. Ognian Radonich is the manager for Forum Civ's regional office for Eastern Europe, based in Vilnius, Lithuania. As a Serbian, he experienced firsthand the Balkans war that dissoluted former Yugoslavia into several independent nations. And he is also an expert on the transitional processes in the region, such as Slovakia, the Czech Republic and Ukraine. 
we finally had a chance to talk on the 17th of December 2020. Forum for change. So, Agnian, hi, how are you? Hello, it's a great time here in Vilnius. It's cold and dark and Corona is gripping us inside. We are locked tightly. <laughs> wow, sorry to hear that. Uh, Ognin, I wanted to talk to you because, of course, we've had this idea of covering what is going on in Belarus. Probably around May, things started to configure, as I understand. But then with the elections and after the elections, all the turmoil and things going on, uh, you and I know that we wanted to, to have the voices of civil society our partners in, in the country. And there have been difficulties on that, which I think says a lot of the situation that is going on. So I wanted to, to talk to you about your own perceptions of, of what is going on, but mainly framed in, in this situation for civil society. What has been also the history of civil society in the country? It's a so particular country with its relationship, not even to Russia, but with to the Soviet Union as Currently, we can we can say something like that, even though the Soviet Union formally doesn't exist anymore. But it's so particular, the context for Belarus. So, yeah, I would like just to start by listening to you and, and, and opening the conversation to wherever fields it takes us. Thank you. Perhaps for our listeners who, who are not so familiar, this point that you've made on this Soviet uh, heritage until beginning of this year, I would jokingly say that Belarus is what Soviet Union would be if Gorbachev succeeded. After a little bit of liberalization, private property allowing a little bit of private initiative and businesses while still keeping heavy political control, still keeping uh, state uh, control over most of the businesses, most of the social entrepreneurship, most of the social life and cultural life. This is what, what Lukashenko did manage for these past 26 years, uh, balancing very smoothly and very skillfully between the West and Russia. He is aligned with Russia. Russia puts about 10 million billion uh, dollars a year into Belarus, uh, either through subsidized gas and oil, either by cash into the budget or credits or things like that. But he was always trying to wiggle around. <clears throat> as soon as Russia would start putting some uh, conditions, he would turn to the West. Then if he wouldn't get enough from the West, he would crack on civil society, go back to Russia. So this was something that he was managing for the past, well, 25 years to be precise. This is the 26th year of his rule. And in this year, he simply slept. Since the summer, massive peaceful protests have gripped Belarus, calling for an end to what's known as Europe's last dictatorship. Minsk has never seen anything like this. This is a report from ABC News, published on December the 7th of 2020. Belarus is a country of 9 million, sat between Europe and Russia. In 1991, it declared independence from the Soviet Union. But three years later, Alexander Lukashenko, a former collective farm manager, was elected president, promising to restore order. He's been in power ever since. 26 years, tolerating no political opposition. 
perhaps the corona was the the primary or the tipping point for his role. Uh, beginning of this year, when when it started in in February and March 2020, uh, his response to corona was dismissive. He was calling the rest of the world being hysterical. He was saying, yeah, we should drink vodka and go to sauna, uh, drive tractor that heals all viruses. <laughs> and essentially, uh, by doing that, he diminished his own role. Uh, all this time, he was presenting himself as a uh, protector as father his nickname in the country of by his supporters is batka which means like a daddy father and by dismissing corona and by joking about it he broke the unwritten social contract and the social contract was i take care of you and you keep quiet and he did relatively take care of them he did protect them from privatization, from the uh, economical transition that most of these other countries went to, even from corruption. There is not so many oligarchs in Belarus. There is no organized crime there either. But with this uh, dismissing of Corona, he broke this primary rule of the social contract. In response, people started organizing themselves to crowdfunding uh, platforms, uh, with sewing masks and, and, and making uh, shields for doctors and became disillusioned with the state. On top of that, starting from May, as you said, uh, the election campaign kicked off. And in this election campaign, there were several candidates who were not the standard candidates that he got used to. He got used to uh, established all the opposition. Now, pr uh, candidates were coming from within the system. One was the ex-ambassador uh, uh, and official in the MFA. Another one was, was a banker of a, of a Gazprom, Russian bank. So this started already shaking him. With Corona, they electrified and politicized the nation. He started then cracking on them. One was denied registration, the other one was arrested, the third one was arrested. This uh, enraged everybody. And you had a surge of people who never thought of politics, who never cared about anything, who were taking him and his rule as God-given. Suddenly, they turned against them. You should have seen the, the queues of people putting signature on the alternative candidates. And they didn't care which candidate they support as long as it is against Lukashenko. You would have literally lines of a of, of couple of kilometers, thousands of people lining up to sign, waiting for hours. Elections went as they went. He obviously stole it without any shame even, saying he won over 80%. And this number, 80%, is a very special number for him. The first election that were relatively fair and, and free that he won, he won with support of 80%. And since that time, he never allowed to have anything less than 
Zero. It's a number that he had to keep. That blatant lie brought out people to the streets on 9 of August. There were a couple of thousand people protesting elections. The regime uh, and police went wild on them. The violence that was unseen, beating uh, literally anybody that they had seen. This violence continued on the 10th, on the 11th, uh, when they were literally seeing any any male between 15 and, and, and 55 would get beaten and arrested. And this violence provoked even more outrage from people. So that by the end of that week, you had over 100,000 people on the streets. Agnim, you talk about outraged people, but uh, when I see images of the thousands of people on the streets, I mainly see very peaceful crowds. How can you explain this? Now, uh, in a sense of context, Belarusians are very calm nation, very rule-abiding nation. Even in the protest, it's it's, it's funny. Uh, the column of hundred thousand people is walking, and the red light starts, and they stop. They stop. They stop and they wait. Wow. I mean, if you can imagine the, 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 the column of 100,000 people that nobody steps on the green area. Or they take shoes off if they stand on a bench. This is the kind of nation that it is. It's a very polite, very law-obedient nation. For that kind of nation to take it in these numbers to the streets means that they had enough. The history of civil society basically started in the 90s. Uh, as Soviet Union collapsed, civil society started emerging, a lot connected to international or foreign uh, initiatives. It would be a Dutch NGO, a Danish NGO coming in, a cultural initiative, exchange. There were a couple of cultural movements that were very organic from, from the bottom, but a lot of it started with foreign initiatives. Over these years, they have been, I'm safe to say, ghettoized. Uh, the, the government was extremely pressuring them, not allowing to meet. Uh, they don't allow organizations to be registered. If you are not registered, it's a criminal offense to work, but you cannot register no matter what you do. So this is like this catch-22. For those of us who do not know what a Catch-22 situation is, let me take a moment to share what Wikipedia has to say. A Catch-22 situation is a paradoxical situation from which an individual cannot escape because of contradictory rules or limitations, of mutually conflicting or dependent conditions. The term was coined by Joseph Heller in his 1961 novel Catch-22, which describes bureaucratic constraints on soldiers in World War II. Now, let's go back to Ognin and civil society in Belarus. Perhaps I would also make a, a distinction between NGOs and civil society. Perhaps in, in, the, in the context of Eastern Europe, this distinction is needed. NGOs as organized organizations 
sometimes funded by the foreign donors, while civil society being grassroots initiatives or active citizens. And we had in Belarus NGOs for many, many years. But civil society was lacking in a sense. And because they were so isolated and so pressured and so ghettoized, NGOs were never able to uh, establish this link with populace. What perhaps is, is another moment that we can take into consideration is 2014-15 period, uh, when Ukrainian wars started. Mm-hmm. Lukashenko got very wary of this and Russian uh, intervention in Ukraine. He was afraid that something similar may happen to him. The Russians are just going to march in, depose him, and take over everything. So he started opening up towards West, specifically EU, and that also meant that he had to open up the public space as well and stop pressuring NGOs, which then allowed NGOs to reach out to people, to start working with society. Another moment that we have here is also... Uh, generational change and economy change. Belarus, as well as as previously Soviet Union, was always very heavy on technical education. Uh, And this was partly the the, uh, moment of that they didn't like economy or law uh, or all of these capitalist uh, subjects. So they were focusing more on technical education. And Belarus has a very strong technical education, which gave birth to very strong IT sector. Mm-hmm. which in turn gave birth to new middle class that was well off earning good money, being able to travel, having access to information, and eventually came to the point that they want a political power as well. It's still enough to work for Google while sitting in Minsk or work for, for war games if, if you play this uh, World of Tanks. This is a Belarusian-based mm-hmm. game. Uh, they employ tens of thousands of usually young people. When the blockade began in 1948, we thought the people of West Berlin would be safe. But the Soviets had other ideas. One December day is all it took for the fragile peace to shatter. What you are listening to are fragments of a trailer from one of the World of Tanks video games. In 1962, we thought the Cuban Missile Crisis was a bluff. It was bravado. Playground bullies flexing their muscles. No one would ever push the button. And they did not perhaps express this very openly. It was okay up until the moment when uh, governments gave up on their social contract. And this is the moment when they also got politicized and said, hey, this is my country. I have a say to it. These are our stories. Now. It's your turn. Forum for change. Of course, there might be a lot of even more complex things going, but as you picture it, we have like this different uh, ingredients getting mixed up like this three that you mentioned, like NGO in these formally organized groups, civil society as that non-formal organized groups or even individuals and activists. And then also this even more organized and structured IT sector with entrepreneurships going on. This all builds into this kind of jukebox 
that comes uh, this year. But then that also brings an uncertainty of, wow, we did something, now what? Exactly. I used to call it a perfect storm uh, when <laughs> suddenly unexpected forces just come together in a perfect moment to create the perfect storm. I would think also that this is simply a, a generational change as well. 26 years is a very long time. A baby that was born at the time when he came into the power is now a person of 26 years, who has a job, who finished school, who is fully formed individual. And this guy or gal had enough. They could tolerate it up to a moment, but it turned that enough is enough. What was interesting also this building, especially between IT sector and civil society or civic initiatives. For a couple of years, there were several of crowdfunding platforms that appeared in Belarus. IT people would be creating crowdfunding platforms, either for culture or for small businesses or for civic initiatives. And people started using them and donating it. This also created this cohesion in society, at least of these groups, urban middle-class, younger generation, which then brought up this protest spirit. I'm wondering what has happened with those, with that older generations that probably this 26 years, as you mentioned, might be just like the second half or the last third of their life. And they bring with them like this other history with being part of the Soviet Union with all the changes that started more than 20 years ago. What has happened with that older generation? They are a little bit lost, if I <laughs> if I can see from, from here, from Vilnius. On one hand, he let them down as well, because they are the most vulnerable to the coronavirus. Uh, they are still quite the biggest supporters. But what, what is interesting for the past month and a half, Mondays, uh, we have pensioners protesting. Mm -hmm. So every single Monday, there are people of 65 plus who are coming out to protest. And I'm even daring to call it a movement because if every Monday for the past eight, nine Mondays, you have a couple of hundred pensioners coming out to the street on minus 10 mm -hmm. with the corona all around, they come yeah. in to protest. The violence that was so visible is something that also has shown to them as well that maybe this regime is not as benevolent as we thought it was. Currently in Belarus, I think this was a couple of weeks ago, the count was 35,000 arrested in a nation of 10 million. 35,000 people who were detained, beaten, sentenced a couple of weeks, couple of months or couple of years. Several thousand cases of torture are reported. Eight people are dead, presumably killed by police. Now for each of those who were arrested, of those 35,000, they have five or 10 family members, close friends, grandmas, grandfathers who Regardless what they thought of Lukashenko, if their kid is beaten or arrested for no reason whatsoever, 
for just walking the street, they change their opinion. The first part of this episode ends here. Please join us on the second part, where we talk with Agnion about the particularities of the social mobilization that has been going on in Belarus permanently for more than 20 weeks, the central role of women in it, and the expectations on how the situation might evolve in the coming years. This has been Forum for Change, a podcast about civil society around the world produced by Forum CIV, as part of the Swedish partnership program funded by CIDA, the Swedish International Development Cooperation Agency. If you want to know more about the podcast or this episode's contents, please read the description box. To know more about Forum CIV, take a look at our website, www.forumciv.org. We hope you join us in our second season soon. You can also follow us on social media as Forum Civ. I am Carlos Cárdenas. Until next time.